Welcome to the First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 to 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. The founder of a new religion once asked the great French diplomat Talleyrand how he could obtain more converts for his newly created faith. And Talleyrand is said to have answered, I would recommend that you first of all get yourself crucified and then die, but be sure that on the third day you rise again. Today's gospel reading lifts up one of the more critical questions of our Christian faith, the subject of the resurrection from the dead, as we proclaim every Easter morning and sometimes at other times when the Spirit just calls us to do so. But beyond that question, there lies a deeper and profoundly more personal one. The core issue for us is not the question of whether or not God raised Jesus back to life. No, the core question for us as human beings is, will God resurrect me? Can I put all my hope, faith, and trust on that promise? Or is it just wishful thinking? These questions, or rather the statements that come in answer to them, are among the anchors of faith that form the basis of Christianity. For without them, we would be cast adrift upon the stormy seas of this world. Paul recognized the importance of the answers to these questions as well. Writing in his letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote, If there was no resurrection of Christ then our preaching is in vain. And if Christ is not raised, what hope do we have? At one point, Paul even says that if there is no resurrection, if it didn't really happen, then we're to be pitied among all people. But the question presents itself nonetheless. It sneaks up on us time and again. People of faith, from the spiritual giants to the neophytes, all take pause now and then, to re-ask the questions, did it actually happen? Can it really be true? Will it happen for me or my loved one? 
Today's gospel lesson is one of those where this issue is raised. And you'll note as we approach the season of Easter or move beyond it by a Sunday or two, know this, this doesn't just happen then. This time it comes up out of the Christian story in November as we're celebrating the saints just a few short weeks before the birth of Jesus. If you've been shopping in the last couple of weeks and if you take local merchandisers' clues, you'd think Christmas was even closer than it really is. So why talk about death and resurrection now when we're just about to begin our preparations for the celebration of Jesus' birth? If it's all just a big hoax, why bother? Well, we bother because without the resurrection, the baby Jesus just remains another baby, but not a savior or a messiah. The second reason is this. Advent and Christmas are not just about Christ's birth, but are also about his second coming. Just as sages and prophets of long ago waited for the Messiah's arrival, we now wait long for his return, the longing based on the promise that we too shall be raised like him, a promise that when his kingdom comes, we will have a place in it and a place at the table as well. So I think it appropriate to ask these questions, to seek out the answers as best we can, and to reaffirm our faith so that Advent and Christmas are not just a going through the motions, but a genuine, faith-filled time of hope and promise. Is there a resurrection? Is the question the Sadducees posed to Jesus in this morning's lesson. This question is the third and final of three challenges that they issued to Jesus. Prior to this question, the temple authorities had asked him by whose authority he was preaching. Following that, they had challenged him on the issue of paying taxes or tribute to Caesar, questions they thought he could not answer without getting himself in very serious trouble with the Jewish people and the Roman authorities, or both. But now, in their third and final attempt to trip Jesus up, the Sadducees challenged Jesus on a deeply theological issue, doing so in a way that I think they were sure would make Jesus look like a fool. A little bit about the Sadducees. They were a very conservative subgroup within Judaism. They were part of the priestly aristocracy who were much more concerned about politics than religion. The Sadducees did not believe in angels or that God dished out reward and punishment based on merit, they also flatly denied that there ever had been or ever would be a resurrection of the dead. And the basis for that opinion was that they could find no biblical basis for it in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And they gave no authority to any of the prophetic teachings. To the Sadducees, belief in life after life was ludicrous, which is why they were so sad, you see. <laughs> so not believing in an afterlife, the Sadducees taunt Jesus by making use of a particular part of the Levitical law to create a bizarre, to say the least, test case. In Deuteronomy 25, 5-10, it says that if a married man dies without having children, it is permitted and even encouraged that one of his brothers take his brother's wife, his widow. But both still had to go through a ceremony known as 
Haliza, which was a symbolic act of renunciation of Yibam marriage, which is what the scripture talks about. Sexual relations with one's brother's wife were otherwise forbidden, listed in Leviticus 18 and 20. So the Sadducees took that biblical citation and pushed it to an absurd extreme. Seven brides and seven brothers. Now, I suppose it was a very serious matter to them. The Sadducees likely may have taken that matter very seriously. But it's also possible that not taking Jesus seriously, they formed this question as a kind of practical joke. A laugh they could have at the expense of Jesus. But as usual, Jesus rises to the occasion. He's not about to fall into their trap. First of all, he points out the logical error of the question to begin with. The Sadducees were under the false impression that the resurrection life would mirror this life in this world, that things would be much the same as they'd always been. But he shows them how wrong they are. The kingdom of God will be radically different from the current age altogether. For one thing, relationships will be different. People of the resurrection will not marry. Why? Because one of the prime purposes of marriage is to have children to ensure the preservation of the human race. But Jesus proclaims that in the resurrection age, there will be no death. So there will be no need to preserve human life through procreation. He also says that in the age to come, we will all be different because we will all fully become children of God, the way God intended us to be at the dawn of time. We will become, as it were, children of the resurrection. That's my favorite line in today's scripture. Believing in the, and trusting in the goodness of God as his children who rescue us. The point, however, is that it is not us, but God who's in charge of the future. So Jesus avoids the Sadducees' trap. He doesn't get tangled up in their ludicrous questions, but shows them that it is naively based on a misunderstanding about the differences between this age and this world and the age to come and that kingdom. But he doesn't even stop there. He goes beyond the question itself to what he knows is the deeper question. Despite their desire to ensnare him, Jesus uses the opportunity to try and teach them and offer them hope. So continuing his answer, he says, the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God is not the God of the dead, for to him, all are alive. Perhaps there was a smile on Jesus' face as he finished his answer, using their scripture to establish faith in the resurrection. I suppose in that situation, in my human weakness, I would have reveled at one-upping of the Sadducees. But if Jesus was smiling, it was a hope-filled smile, not an I got you smile, because he was truly offering them hope. Hope not just for today, but a hope for the future. Whatever they may have thought of him, no matter what they had challenged him on regarding his authority and tried to trip him up, he still wanted them to know that there was and is a hope for all of them and for all of us. Is there a resurrection? 
Yes, Jesus says, but he doesn't just say it. He goes on to prove it by allowing the power of God to work through his life and his death so that on the third day he could rise again in glory. Now, obviously, we can't prove that with any scientific measure, but we can prove it in our own hearts and souls. We can prove it in the love we still experience when someone we care deeply about has moved on to the next life and into the kingdom of God. You just can't see it all the time. You can't touch it, you can't feel it, but we can catch signs to which we can point that help us to get a glimpse of heaven here and there, right here on earth. And there are ways to experience it in the here and now. Clearly something unimaginable and wonderful happened to the disciples on the day of resurrection. They had gone into hiding, fearing that they too might become martyrs following Jesus' crucifixion. But nevertheless, they stayed in Jerusalem. On the day of Jesus' resurrection, a holy boldness slowly came over them that would change the religious landscape of the world forever. They came out and began to teach what Jesus had taught. Even Thomas, who had said, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. But a week later, Thomas was with the disciples when Jesus walked through locked doors and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then said, Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And you'll note, Thomas doesn't do either. He just says, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then there's Saul who would later be named Paul, who made destroying and eradicating the early church his sole mission in life, watching over uncounted stonings and crucifixions of the early Christian community until one day, while walking to Damascus, a light from heaven started flashing around him. He fell to the ground only to hear Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so Saul did it, ultimately taking on that new name of Paul and becoming the greatest evangelist of the early church, if not the church throughout the centuries. And then there are uncounted saints, saints of the early church who chose death rather than took their turn their backs on Jesus, all of these and so many more also experienced the resurrected and risen Christ in their midst, which brings us back to our question, do we believe it? Do we have that hope for ourselves, for our loved ones? Do we have enough faith to affirm that promise of our faith? For me, and I hope for all of us, The answer is an emphatic yes. So thanks be to God and to Jesus 
and to the Holy Spirit, all three of whom are always with us. Amen.